Hi, my name is Adam Hayes. My name is Morgan McGraw, and I've been attending Young Decatur for around three and a half years. Um, I came to Young Decatur about four and a half years ago uh, with my brother when we were freshmen at Millican. What I was hoping to experience at Young Decatur was to find people in a similar situation, first time away from their parents um, at a new school, um, and trying to live as a Christian in a different place. So initially what I wanted to experience at Young Decatur was a sense of community, but I did not expect the familial love that I was gonna get from it. So initially I just wanted friends, community, a Christian community specifically. So with Young Decatur, we do weekly Bible studies and we do weekly game nights as well that for the most part we all participate in. And then depending on the season, we will go to pumpkin patches together, or we just had a group of individuals go to the Northeast Community Fund last week to do Thanksgiving dinners to package them. So yeah, it just kind of depends. Some of the growth I've experienced at Young Decatur has been a lot in my faith, but also in pursuing faith with other people. Um, I've definitely learned over the last couple years how important um, this faith walk is with other people. I have changed a lot and grown a lot since I've been at Young Decatur. Uh, I would say in terms of having people around you that speak biblical truth to you consistently, that's been one of the biggest ways that I've changed. I noticed when I first started going to Young Decatur that I had a lot of worldly perspectives on things and I didn't necessarily want that. So I would say my biblical perspective has changed a lot along with my, my confidence around people and around other Christians as well. I had to put on a lot of different hats. Uh, I was a nursing major, a football player, um, an RA at one point. Um, but here at Young Decatur, I've really been able to just be me, a man who's trying to lead the best life that God's trying to teach me how to. That's why I come here. The community of Young Decatur has meant a lot to me. Uh, there's so many of us that have walked through a lot of difficult things while we've been at Young Decatur, and those things would be so difficult to go through if we didn't have each other. So that's something that I'm so thankful for. So the future of Young Decatur, I hope that we can continue to grow. We have done so much expanding in this last year. It's been amazing, and I just hope that we can continue to do that continue to get some diversity in there and just get people from, from all young adult age groups and ethnicities and things like that, everyone that we can just get to come in together, but just that we continue to expand. Um, it's not just this building that creates fellowship, but um, you know, we go back to school, we go back to work, we go back to wherever place in the world that we are, um, and we know that we have a support system. And I just, I hope that it continues and that young people keep coming here and know that they have a home here. Awesome. Well, I tell you, I love what we get to be a part of as a church if you could say the next generation coming behind us. When I first started out in youth ministry, there was a, a saying uh, that I, I appreciated the sentiment, uh, and that was uh, that, hey, we have to make sure we're doing youth ministry well and, and, and young adult ministry because they are, quote, the church of tomorrow. 
Uh, but I gotta tell you, I'm thankful to be part of a church that we recognize that young people are the church of today. Uh, so super cool to be a part of that and to be forwarding what God has called us to uh, in so many ways as a church. And then speaking of young people, if you're even younger than our young adults, hopefully uh, on your way into worship, you got one of these little bags, yes, to keep you occupied while I drone on here for a little bit. Um, in fact, so let's see what you got here. Um, you guys got your bags? Let's see, anything to keep you busy? This, I don't know how this keeps me busy, but it's like a, maybe it's like a fidgety thing. I have a donkey, which I think is part of the nativity scene. Um, I just learned looking at your guys' bags, you got crayons in yours. And I asked why I didn't crayons, get crayons, and they said it might distract me, which, whatever. So all I got was a book, but lo and behold, I've got some stickers. So uh, hopefully you got some stickers in yours, kiddos, that represent a scene we should all be familiar with here at Christmas, our nativity scene. We've got some familiar cast of characters. We've got, of course, Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus. We've got some shepherds and some sheep and a donkey. I got a donkey. We got a star. That's kind of in there. We've got some, some treasures, some, some gifts from the wise men. We've got a wise man here. Uh, so all kinds of a familiar cast of characters that actually here in a little bit will sing a song about uh, this very setting that we're all very familiar with, I would think. Even if maybe you're new to the whole church thing, you probably know the song Silent Night and some of the lyrics that go with that. You know, silent night, all is calm, all is bright. And as we think about those lyrics, or as I think about those lyrics, those are things that are certainly true of us reflecting on Jesus' birth 2,000 years ago. But as I think about that actual event some 2,000 years ago, I have to wonder, was it actually all that calm? Uh, And you think about it, in reality, what's happening in this scene is nice and quaint and cute as it is in the stickers. I mean, we have a woman giving birth to her firstborn in an animal shed, okay? Probably not the most quiet, silent, calm, quaint situation. Uh, and, and, that, and with that, we have, we have you know, cows mooing. We have donkeys he-awing. We've got you know, sheep bleeding. All these things are happening. All the while, there's this construction crew of shepherds, you know, coming off of their paddy-filled pastures, and they're coming in to the hospital room to pinch your firstborn baby's cheeks. It's like, I, I remember our firstborn, like a pacifier hits the ground, that thing's getting burned in the dumpster. Like, it's just, it's gone. And, you know, you add to that, um, the, just all the the characters that show up at the, at the birth scene. And, you know, moms, I think maybe you can relate to Mary a little bit with all these people showing up. Maybe for you, leading up to your big day, you thought it was just gonna be you, your OBGYN, maybe a nurse or two in this nice moment, only to find out in reality on that faithful day, you had your OB and 17 of her closest first-year medical student friends join you uh, for the joy of your birth. And so you get where Mary's coming at with this crowd and not so silent, not so quiet night. Uh, And then, it's not on my sticker set, it's certainly not in the scriptures anywhere, but some traditions suggest that there may have been a little drummer boy. To which, you gotta imagine that, you've got Mary exhausted, maybe she just had gotten Jesus to sleep, when all of a sudden this young man shows up and thinks to himself, what this girl needs drum solo, right? And so, yeah, there was nothing silent about that night that Jesus came. But know this, that if you are here 
this night. Or if you are here over the course of time, at some point in the course of your life, uh, some night that led you to this night, that you are here because someone in your life, you could say, could not remain silent. They could not remain silent about the good news of Jesus coming that has come to them as such good news in their life that they want you to experience in your life, both tonight and hopefully all the days of your life, what is so good about the good news that Jesus did in fact come. It, we celebrate in a Christmas service, and a Christmas story. And so, with that, we are here with that understanding, maybe even subconsciously, that we are aware of the story of Christmas, and that's why we're here, and our hope is that there's something good that comes out of it. And what I wanna share with you is a story of a group of men that also discovered that good news about Jesus coming. And so we're gonna read it in the book of Matthew chapter two. And so if you have a Bible with you, you can turn there and follow along, Matthew chapter two. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's uh, some of the pew racks there that you can certainly use. And then um, those at home worship online, there's a way to actually get a link to a Bible there. And then just spoiler alert, we also put all the passages on these little fancy screens here so you can follow along there, whatever's easiest for you. But we're gonna read the story of these, these men's encounter, this, men, this group of men, their encounter with Jesus. Matthew chapter two. Follow with me, starting in verse one. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi, wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And right here in this verse, we see what might be the greatest Christmas miracle of all. These men, they stop and they ask for directions. Where, they say, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Now naturally, Herod the king, not a fan of hearing there will be another king. Verse four. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And so 700 years prior, God through the prophet Micah foretold of this moment, saying, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod, he, he called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report back to me. And then Herod, lying through his teeth, says, so that I may go and worship him, where his actual intent as Herod the king was to kill Jesus, the newborn king. Verse nine, it says, after they, the Magi, they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And then on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. And then they opened up their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod because of Herod's intent not to worship but to actually wipe out Jesus, they returned to their country by another route. 
All right. And so here we have the story, the, 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 the characters of, your, of, of the Magi, or wise men from the East. Well, let me tell you what theologians and scholars, what it is that they actually know about these wise men from the East. Uh, we know that they were uh, wise men from the East. That's pretty much it. Uh, There's actually really not a whole lot of information on this group of men. Uh, But what we do know is that they knew about some of the foretold prophecies of the Messiah. And as a result, they journeyed toward Jesus. You see, you're here. I'm here. We are all here. Because just like the personalities in this account, Herod, the religious leaders, the wise men, they all heard about the story of Jesus coming at Christmas. And we are here, you could say, because we've paid attention enough to that story to realize there's something happening around a service at Christmas that we should gather in recognition of it. But know this there is a difference between knowing about something and actually acting on that something. And we know this, there is a difference, we would agree that there is a difference between knowing about something and actually acting on that something. And we see that divergence, that difference here in the personalities in the story play out. Look again at verse four and five. Again, it says that when Herod had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. They said, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet had written. And so that's Herod and the religious leaders. They hear, they see, they, they know about Jesus coming, but they take no action based on that knowledge. Because there is a difference between knowing about something and acting on something. Maybe I could illustrate it this way. Um, So I've been married 18 years now to my wife, Jessica, but I want you to go back in time with me to uh, when we first started dating. And I want you to imagine with me we're on one of our first dates, and I'm just kind of getting to know Jessica and kind of maybe how to date her and like how this is going to work out. And imagine on that date, we're sitting at the booth across from each other, and I have a book. And it is a book on how to date Jessica well. Okay? And so I'm reading this book, and it's like, oh, okay. Chapter seven, Jessica does not like guys who read books on dates. Oh, okay, Uh uh-oh, yeah. So let's say I read that, but then I do nothing to put the book down. Or, you know, it's like, oh man, this is is so good, this is so useful, yes. Don't read when you're on a date with Jessica. Where's my highlighter? This is just phenomenal. This is so good. Ah, okay. To which Jessica interrupts my train of thought to say, um, excuse me, uh, would, you, would you mind putting the book down? Uh, to which I respond like, well, do you mind? I'm like trying to learn how to date you here. <laughs> so, it's like, like, Brian, that's the dumbest story I ever heard. I know. <laughs> that's the point. Uh, James, uh, in the Bible, in his letter to the church, he says a similar idea this way. He says, do not merely listen to or just know about. Don't just listen to, know about the word. And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do, does not take action toward 
what it says? He illustrates it this way. He says, it's like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and then after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. To which you might say, that's really dumb too. That's the point. Whether it's not putting a book down when the book says clearly you're supposed to put the book down or looking at your face in a mirror and then forgetting what it looks like or more importantly, looking at the word of God and doing nothing based on what it is that you know about in actual action is to miss the point of the point entirely. And so we have to get real with ourselves and ask ourselves, like sitting here, like what are we doing here? Like what, if there is no real point, or maybe a better way of painting it is, if there is a point, what are the implications of that point? See, when it comes to the Christmas story, you see, the problem is, for many of us, not that we know, I guess you could say that we don't know the Christmas story. Our problem for the most of us, the most part, is not that we don't know this Christmas story. The problem for many of us actually is, I think, we know the Christmas story too well. We know it too well. Like we could rattle off the you could say the, like the Sports Center ESPN highlights of the Christmas story. I mean, we know. No room in the inn, born in a manger. Uh, you know, there were some shepherds there after the angels make the announcement. A little later on, some wise men show up. And, and we, can, we can talk about Jesus at Christmas, like, like a list of football stats that you hear during a pregame football banter with a bunch of washed-up quarterbacks before the people who still play football actually take the field. It's just like this thing that's before the thing. And I think sometimes that's what this Christmas service at church kind of thing can really fall into. You know, it's this thing that we know we should do or that was part of our tradition before we get to the stuff that probably really has our attention. You know, the food and the places we got to get to, the festivities, the Santa, the presents, and that that elf on a shelf. Man, what a problem he's become of late. And, And so if we are going to, we could say, recover Christmas. That's our theme for our Christmas services here, recovering Christmas. If we're going to recover Christmas from all that stuff and Santas on scooters is the strangest thing I ever did see, then we're, if we're going to reclaim it, then we have to move Jesus off of the warm-up act, off of just knowing about Jesus, and put him in his rightful place of actually knowing him and putting Jesus where he belongs as the main event to journey toward, not just to know about, but to act on. After all, that's what Jesus would one day grow up and invite all of us to. Two words, recorded 22 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He simply said, follow me. Follow me is the invitation that Jesus calls us to. And that is the example that we see in the wise men. We see they didn't just know about Jesus. They actually took the first functional, next actual steps in moving toward, journeying toward Jesus. And as I think about how that might relate to some of us, maybe for you, you would say, I, I, I know a lot about or a little about Jesus. You know, maybe you grew up going to church or growing, uh, go, grew up going to services maybe like this around Christmas. Uh, but to say that you're journeying toward him actively in your everyday life, you wouldn't say you're there. 
Or, or maybe you'd say, oh yeah, no, I'm in. Like, if you're gonna ask me and put me on the spot, like, are you, are you a follower of Jesus? I would say yes, but if you're honest with yourself, maybe real specifically over the last couple of years, you might say, ah, and I get it because we've all been susceptible to all kinds of changes because of the COVID and the quarantining and all that stuff that's broken up all of our life's rhythms. And maybe for you, that, that used to be commitment, routine, essential habit of being in worship and rallying around with other people who follow Jesus is just not a part of your routine, your habit, your way of life anymore. And, and you have stepped into what Hebrews 10.25 warns us, warns us not to forsake. It says it this way. It says, do not, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but instead encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And that day, capital D there, is the day that Jesus is coming not as a baby but comes back again in power and in return. And it's like we gotta be ready and moving toward that. But maybe in reality you've gotten out of the habit and uh, if you could say of not meeting together in weekly, regular worship and being part of the church. And I say this to you because I've just seen it too many times uh, that I would be amiss to not bring this biblical caution and concern before you that what maybe was once a top priority on a weekly basis is like, ah, it kind of slipped into maybe like at least we want to make sure we go every other week to, uh, you know, we at least make sure we're not, at least get there once a month to, you know, this fade that maybe eventually becomes, you know, Christmas and Easter of which this evening represents one of those two commitments. The net result of that is what Hebrews goes on to warn, which says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And you might be saying, whoa, 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 whoa. time out, I'm not, I'm not turning my back on God. Listen, no one wakes up one day and says to themselves, you know, like, okay, so let's look at my list of things to do. Oh, okay, yeah, today is the day that I, quote, choose a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Nobody just wakes up one day and just decides that's what it's gonna be. No, it's a, it's a slow fade. It's a slow fade. And I know for some of you, whether online or in person, that fade has been your story these last couple of years. And again, I get it, it's, everything's been disrupted. But can I encourage you, can I caution you from the word? You can put a stop to that today, that you can change that habit, you can change the habit of what it is you're doing from not doing to doing, to, as it says in Hebrews 10.25, to not give up. Don't give up on meeting together as maybe you have gotten in the habit of doing and re-up your routine for 2022 to prioritize and participate in the church in regular worship and building one another up all the more, it says, as we see that day approaching. So maybe that's where you find yourself in this, maybe this gap between knowing all about Jesus but not quite living a life where you are journeying toward him like maybe you once did. But then I would say there's still some of us here who are like, I gotta be honest, like, I don't even know how I got here. Like, 
I showed up to visit some family. They're like, hey, you wanna go out for some hot chocolate and some coffee? Next thing I know, I'm packed in a pew. I've got stained glass on my left. Grandpa's falling asleep on my right, and I'm in a church. And it's like, okay, uh, how long is this guy gonna talk? Uh, how long is this whole thing gonna last? And where's the nearest exit? Um, and so before you slip out to head to the restroom, before you are never to return again, she's with plenty of excuse. She's nowhere leaving because we have a little bit upset baby. No problem there. <laughs> That's all part of it. But before you like think, I don't want to be here. I want to go to the restroom and not return again. Can I just remind you, actually remind us all of what it is that the wise men have to show us about the realities of moving from just knowing about to journeying toward Jesus, not just at Christmas, but all the days of our life. Here's the takeaway, that if I could boil it down to just one point of closing that gap from knowing about to journeying toward, it would be this. Jesus is worth the exchange. That is what the wise men teach us, that, the, that Jesus is worth the trade, the exchange. Here's what that means. The wise men, clearly they had a lot going for them. They had a lot going for them. They had uh, you know, a career, they had wisdom. I mean, it's in their name. We see that they had wealth as they were rolling in that gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then they give it all. They give their time, they give you know, their treasures or gifts when they see Jesus, they give their talent, their wisdom to discerning where he is going to be and searching the prophecies. They give everything they have, they trade, they exchange everything to go and trade that, you could say, to discover the newborn king, to discover Jesus in their lives, to take he and his ways. They are worth the journey, worth the exchange. Jesus, when he would grow up, he would tell a story uh, in one verse. He tells a one-verse parable that sums up this exchange. He says it this way. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven, it's like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had, and then came back and he bought that field. You see, there is a field we call Christmas. And right in the middle of all of it, there's this treasure. And it's Jesus. And it's a whole new life in him. And he is worth trading in anything and everything that you think you might have going for you right now in exchange for him. And here's why it's worth that. Uh, getting real, I guess you could say, as we think about our life here on earth, we know that there is nothing in this life, there's nothing on the planet, there's nothing that you have right now that ultimately you won't one day lose later. There's nothing. There's nothing that we have on earth in this life that not one day we will lose all together. If you think about it, there is a January coming when you will pack up and put up the Christmas decorations one final time because you won't be around the following December to put them back up. Those decorations, they will be left behind. They'll be left behind along with the house that you decorated them with, uh, along with the money that purchased the decorations that went into the house that you leave behind, that you'll leave behind the job that made the money that bought the decorations that decorate the house that you all leave behind. All that stuff, it'll, some of it will go to a garage sale, Honestly, most of it probably to a landfill. 
Maybe some of it will go to your kids, your grandkids. Like if, if you're really lucky, maybe like, I don't know, two things will make it down to your, you know, great, great grandchildren, maybe. But even if that happens, they probably won't even know your name. I mean, think about it. I mean, do you know your great-great-grandparents' names? Which you might say, man, this is the greatest Christmas message I've ever heard. <laughs> so depressing. Who is this guy? I, 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 yes, I know it sounds depressing, but it, it really, it, it isn't. It isn't because when you make the exchange, when you make the shift, when you make the trade to not just like overknow the story of Christmas, but actually step into what the uh, the wise men, verse 10, it says that they were overjoyed. When you step into not just overknowing, but having the overjoy of knowing and following Jesus, well, then you can have the confidence. You can have the confidence of knowing that when everything under the sun one day does in fact fade, as Jesus says later in his Sermon on the Mount, that's here today and gone tomorrow, God assures us in his word and in our lives, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. You see, Jesus says that moths and rust and varmints and thieves break in and they, all that stuff, the toys, the treasures, they will all one day be destroyed. But his eternal treasure, Jesus says, nothing can destroy that and no one can steal that. Because someday, all these Christmas carols that we've sung and will sing, they will fade. But for those who know and love and follow Jesus, you'll be singing his praises in like a million years because he is the only one that regardless of what you get or don't get, whatever you get, but maybe lose in this life, he is the only thing that once you get it, you'll never lose it. And in our lives, we all have, you could say that, that something or that pursuit that we are most tempted to give ourselves over to in exchange for all the rest. There's, there's something that maybe even in our back conscious that we are most tempted, other than Jesus, other than God, to give ourselves to that we think will satisfy and complete and finish all the rest. Uh, maybe for you in your life, it's like that significant other relationship. Maybe the one you have or the one you're pursuing, you think if I just get that, then I'll be sad. Like, and, and it makes sense because if we were designed for a relationship with the creator of the universe and we're not filling ourselves with that, then maybe we find ourselves filling that here on earth. But know this, Hollywood, the whole like finding somebody to, to complete you, nobody will ever do that. No on earth relationship will ever, quote, complete you. And any relationship that you put that kind of pressure on to kind of be your all in all, it will fracture, it will crumble under that demand eventually. Or maybe in your world, it's the, uh, if I get the career, the job, the role that I really want, once I get that set, then I'm gonna be good. But I wonder, because I've seen it, is the job that you are currently in, the one that you thought was the answer to the dissatisfaction that you felt before this one? Or maybe you find yourself almost like uncontrollably, impulsively, like just doing things for the approval and the affirmation of others. Uh, maybe it's like in real life. Maybe you do that stuff like online. But instead of 
finding affirmation and approval, you continually find yourself spiraling back to anxiety and insecurity in that pursuit. Trade it in. Exchange it all for Jesus, who is the only one that regardless of whatever you get or lose in this life, he is the only one that you will never lose. Blaise Pascal, 17th century French theologian, he says, he says all this this way. He says, there is a God-shaped vacuum, a hole, if you will, in the heart of each man, which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. St. Augustine, fourth century theologian, he said it this way. He says, our heart is restless until it rests in thee. And so in the end, how can we know that this exchange, this trade is actually worth it? How can we know that, that God is gonna deliver if we give him everything that we think we have that he's gonna come through in a real way? Well, that one's easy because he already did. I mean, think about it. Jesus already made the ultimate greatest exchange of all time to prove it. Jesus left as God in the flesh his rightful place in heaven to submit himself to humanity, to being born in a barn. I don't know about you, but like growing up, if I left the front door open for like two seconds, my mom would accuse me of being born in a barn. Jesus actually chose to be born in a barn and not just to come and live, but to one day die. Die so that we could be, so we could exchange all of our shame and our guilt and our sin and all this stuff that Hebrews says so easily entangles our life. We can, he, he said, I'll take all of that on me and give you the gift of a new life in me. If we acknowledge that he is the son of God, confess that, yeah, all that stuff that I've been chasing is not the answer, to confess that, to repent, the Bible says, which is just a fancy word, which means to turn around. So you repent, you turn around from doing it my way, the world's way, filling that vacuum, that hole with all kinds of other stuff, and saying, okay, God, you are the answer, the one that never leaves me, never forsakes me, that once I trade it in, I will never lose. And I head that direction, and I move from just knowing about Jesus to committing to actually moving toward him, to follow me, Jesus says. That is what the wise men teach us, that we can have, John 10, 10, life and life to the full in him. You know, there's this saying that uh, it's cliche. Um, it didn't have to be, but someone turned it into a bumper sticker. And once you take a great phrase and you put it on a bumper sticker, it just automatically becomes cliche. You might have the bumper sticker, it doesn't matter. It's still great and it's still so true, so, so true. And that is simply this, wise men, still follow him. Wise women, wise men, wise kiddos, still, that's both a request and a command and an opportunity, still, would you still follow him? And so to that goal, let's pray together, asking his help to make that happen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we know about <laughs> all that you've done for us. But now, Lord, we need the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us to move us toward journeying 
to you, whether that's getting back involved in your church, which you set up for us to have relationships with one another that uh, spur on and encourage our ultimate relationship with you. Maybe tonight it's, I, I came for just a traditional Christmas service because that's a part of what we do, but it's right now, whether at home or here in the room or in the East Auditorium, they, they know that I need to take that first step to journey towards And so may they not leave this room or leave online until they've talked to somebody about what it looks like to take that actual step in their lives. For all of us, God, wherever we're at, would you move us forward to not just know about, but to journey towards you, both in this day, this Christmas weekend, but most importantly, all the days of our life that roll right into eternity by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.